AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. With increasing commodity prices, higher price volatility, and rising input costs, America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance more now than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting 295 million acres of farmland and more than 120 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. Mr. Secretary, welcome to AgriPulse Open Mic. It's great to be with you, Ken. Happy New Year. Thank you. I hope. You don't have another farm bill extension, and uh, I guess you need to implement the permanent law, but how much longer do you plan to wait on the lawmakers before you allow the permanent law to be enforced? Ken, that's a good question, and frankly, the last couple of weeks we've uh, received some indication from the conference committee leadership that they were headed towards concluding their work, and so we have actually focused our last couple of weeks' attention here at USDA on putting ourselves in the best possible position to implement a farm bill once it's passed so that there's no time delay uh, in getting some of the critical import, critically important programs in place. We're anxious to have disaster assistance for our livestock producers, particularly those who have suffered through some very tough weather here recently, those who uh, faced uh, some serious problems in the Dakotas uh, last fall, and, and of course the drought of 2012. Uh, that, that gives you an example of the kind of priority that we're going to focus once we get a farm bill. So we've been sp- spending time getting ourselves in order, uh, establishing priorities in terms of what needs to go first, second, third. Uh, if it looks like uh, this Congress is, again, unwilling and unable to get its work done, then we'll have to shift our attention back to uh, to permanent law. We don't want to go there. I don't think anybody wants to go there. Uh, So uh, we are hopeful in in the next week or so that we receive a very definitive indication uh, from uh, the the conference committee that their work is, in fact, done and that they're prepared to present something to the Senate and the House for uh, for a vote. National media is indicating that they think this is a developing story about this uncertainty for the consumer. And I recently heard you on NPR. You appear to be the administration's point man on this, so... I guess I'll ask you, as a consumer, should the public be concerned about food costs due to the congressional inability to pass the Farm Bill? Well, I, I think the public should be concerned about uh, the failure to get a Farm Bill done in terms of its long per- long-term impact. Uh, you know, we need a Farm Bill not just for producers, but because it provides enough protection and assistance to producers to reduce the risk of farming to an acceptable risk so that people stay in the business of farming so that they continue to produce here in the United States uh, most if not all the food that we need to to, uh, to feed our families. We're a food secure nation, Ken, and, and I think that that's at risk if we don't get congressional action. Obviously in the short term if uh, we have to institute permanent law that's going to absolutely create a lot of chaos in the market. Uh, it's going to create shortages in the grocery store and it's going to create higher prices. Uh, I have to hope Uh, And I have to believe that at the end of the day, regardless of how difficult these issues may be to resolve, that indeed uh, there is a will and a way in Congress to get it done. It's high time that they get it done. And frankly, I think, uh, to be very candid, uh, they'll be hell to pay if it doesn't get done. And uh, and I, I don't think anybody wants to see that circumstance. 
Let's uh, move directly into the Farm Bill itself. The conference committee is expected to reduce the SNAP or food stamp spending by about 8 to $9 billion. Is that in a range that you think the president will accept it or is a deal breaker? Well, Ken, I haven't seen the, the specific language of, of what's being discussed, but, but what I've been uh, encouraged by the fact that the focus has been uh, in terms of SNAP on getting the policy right, and I think that the focus has been on tightening the program, uh, ensuring that only those who are eligible and who need the help and assistance are going to get it, but doing it in a way that, unlike what the House passed earlier, uh, will not disqualify several million uh, families who would otherwise be qualified for the program. So I think I've said all along that if you get the policy right, the number's going to take care of itself, and it appears as if um, the, the folks in, in the, the conference committee are working on the right set of policies. Um, and, and we're not going to see millions and millions of Americans who are struggling, whether they're senior citizens or people with disabilities or working poor, uh, have to suffer even further by uh, by uh, a, a decision to substantially reduce the number of people receiving this who actually need it. Um, if you want to tighten up some of the responsibilities and some of the qualifications uh, to make sure that folks aren't getting help that they don't need, fair enough. But uh, don't do what uh, what the House was proposing to do, which would be a, a very significant and wholesale reduction of, of the number of people. I want to go to the King Amendment regarding California's law, which... Uh, some say is restraint of trade to growers who don't meet their animal welfare standards. Do you think it should be included in the final farm bill? Uh, honestly, Ken, I think this is uh, a, a troublesome uh, amendment uh, because I think there are a lot of unintended consequences that could potentially occur uh, that may impact certain aspects of agriculture and may impact uh, uh, the economy in, in unknown ways. I would anticipate and expect that if this were to actually become part of the Farm Bill, that there would be legal challenges and a lot of uncertainty. Uh, I, I, I think there are better ways to handle the concerns, uh, and, uh, and I'm just not sure that uh, at the end of the day that you want to invite that kind of, that kind of trouble um, in, in a Farm Bill. We need to be focused on getting that disaster assistance to livestock producers restored. We need to focus on certainty of what the farm policy is going to be in terms of the safety net. We need to get the benefit of streamlined conservation. We get trade promotion programs back in business. Uh, the, these amendments uh, uh, on some of the side issues have a tendency to uh, to potentially risk the, the passage of a farm bill, and we certainly don't want that to happen. Should we expect the president to mention the farm bill or farming in the State of the Union if the farm bill is not passed by the time we get to that date? Ken, uh, the State of the Union address is being worked on now, uh, and uh, there are meetings taking place at the White House uh, to discuss the contents. Uh, and at this point in time, uh, I think uh, I, I'm not in a position to say yes or no. I think it does depend to a great extent on where we are in the process and whether or not uh, a comment in the State of the Union uh, speech would be helpful or hurtful uh, to the prospects of getting this done. Uh, I do know this. The president is very anxious to get this farm bill done. Uh, at the end of the year, as he mentioned the priorities for the Congress, uh, he mentioned a budget, he mentioned a farm bill, and he mentioned immigration reform. And I can tell you at USDA, those are our priorities as well. Let me move ahead to some other areas that, um, even though the farm bill is in the forefront, I know you're dealing with. You recently brought the cattle industry and some other farm groups together to discuss the beef checkoff and finding a pathway to increase that checkoff rate. Why is it so difficult for these groups to find common ground? 
<laughs> That's a very good question. It's, a, it's actually a question that I ask when I met with the groups. Uh, there are a variety of different ways to look at the beef checkoff uh, within the cattle industry. Uh, there's not a, a uh, uniform understanding or agreement as to precisely what the checkoff should be doing and how it should be doing it. Uh, and there is a difference of opinion about which law, uh, whether the laws that were passed in the 80s or the laws that were passed in the 90s should be used to sort of uh, create an, a new avenue uh, that would result in an increased assessment and an increased uh, uh, promotion of, of, of the industry. What I stressed to everybody uh, when I met with them was that it's in the long-term best interest of every cattle producer in the country to get this checkoff right. Uh, and that if folks have to work with each other, have to compromise, that they're much better off doing so than having this, uh, you know, this situation now where, where uh, the cattle industry is divided within itself. And the result is the assessment is not being increased. And as it's not being increased, we can't be as aggressive in promotion and, and in research as we need to be. Uh, there are a lot of benefits that come from these checkoff programs, and, and I think it's important for folks to find common ground. I've been very impressed with uh, the work of uh, the Farm Bureau and the National Farmers Union uh, as larger farming operations who are engaged and involved in these conversations, encouraging folks to get to a middle place. Uh, and I'm confident that's going to happen. Uh, it's taken longer than I think a lot of us would have anticipated. Uh, but at the end of the day, if we get a better checkoff, if we get a, uh, an opportunity to increase the checkoff and an opportunity to be more aggressive in promotion, uh, the cattle industry is going to benefit. Mr. Secretary, literally all segments of agriculture want to change in immigration laws to allow more workers to uh, enter this country. With uh, immigration reform being one of President Obama's key priorities, what's your view of the likelihood of that happening in 2014? Well, I, I would say, Ken, I, I need three things as the Secretary of Agriculture to ensure that agriculture can have a profitable and and uh, and and you know, a uh, optimistic future. One is obviously a certainty of our own uh, budget here at USDA, which we appear to be on the way to, to getting done. Certainty of farm policy through the passage of a farm bill and the passage of comprehensive immigration reform. I'm encouraged by the fact that the Speaker of the House has indicated it's an area that he is interested in pursuing. I'm encouraged by the fact that the Chair of the Judiciary Committee, Representative Goodlad, has uh, suggested that he has some ideas and thoughts. I don't think it makes much difference whether you have a comprehensive single bill or whether you have a series of smaller bills that deal with similar issues. But if we can get certainty uh, of, of workforce, if we can get a pathway to legitimacy uh, for those who work in agriculture and those who work in, in some of the uh, occupations impacting agriculture, if we can get a, a tighter border, uh, uh, greater border security, if we can get uh, the benefit of people paying uh, their fair share of taxes, I, I think at the end of the day Congress can get this done. And I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, two of the great things that they do get done in 2014 are a farm bill and a comprehensive immigration bill. One other area that seems to be uh, getting play, especially on the West Coast, is the labeling of genetically modified ingredients. There was a referendum in Washington State. There was another in California that both failed. But now General Mills has announced it's going to sell non-GMO Cheerios. And I wonder what your view is of that type of action by a major food company. Well, this is an issue, obviously, that has uh, gotten some attention because of the referendums and because of state legislative action. I think there are 26 to 28 states that are either considering a referendum or considering uh, legislative action to involve or, or create labeling responsibilities. You know, the, the reality is that y you aren't going to have a good system if you have 26 different ideas about how this should be done. 
that's why I have uh, asked the FDA, uh, who has the major responsibility in this area, uh, to work with us at USDA to see if we could find a 21st century solution uh, to, to this uh, to this issue. And by 21st century, I mean utilizing technology to provide consumers information, but doing it in a way, Ken, that doesn't uh, suggest that there's anything unsafe uh, or or dangerous about the product that you're buying. Uh, the concern that a lot of folks have with l this labeling conversation is that it isn't just simply about giving consumers the right to know. It is by, it is a uh, it is the way in which it would be done, which would convey a message about a product that would be incorrect. There is no safety issue involved here with the use of of uh, uh, GMO foods. Uh, there's no safety. There's no research that suggests that there's disease or illness that's related in any way, shape, or form uh, to the use of GMOs. But when you label in the United States today, you're labeling either to warn of a particular hazard or to provide nutritional information. This would go in a, in a slightly different way. Uh, this would create that impression that there might be something unsafe about a product. Uh, I think a better way uh, would be to take a look at the fact that as smartphones are uh, expanded, as scanners are available in grocery stores, you could provide a, a, what is called a QR code. It's that fuzzy-looking uh, little label that's on a lot of products uh, that often is used by the company to give you more information about the product. You could create a system where uh, uh, a registry, of, uh, if you will, uh, of ingredients and of, of uh, contents in a product could be available for any consumer interested in finding out uh, with precision precisely what's in a product, but it wouldn't create uh, any unnecessary uh, concerns on the part of consumers that weren't necessarily interested in, in, in that particular aspect. Um, there are lots of different ways to discuss this issue. Uh, I think it's an issue that, frankly, is not going to go away. Uh, I think it's an issue that's going to cost an awful lot of money if these referendums keep uh, popping up. Uh, and I think the, that everyone should be focused on trying to get to a place where we provide consumers information, but we do it in a way that doesn't uh, send the wrong message about a product. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, you're a busy man. Thank you very much for being our guest on AgriPulse Open Mic. You bet, Ken. Take care. AgriPulse Open Mic has been brought to you by the crop insurance industry, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. I'm Ken Root.